Good morning, everyone. I know what you're thinking right now. Pastor Ryan's not going to preach, but Santa's here. (laughs) So I've had a really busy week, but uh, I was able to find some time to be here today. All right. Well, have you ever gotten a Christmas gift that uh, when you first got it, you thought, oh, what's this? Is this even going to work, or what am I going to do with this thing? Well, that happened to my wife and I oh, several years back. And what happened was that um, somebody had given us a bottle of wine, and that was great because we use wine when we cook at home for different dishes. But it also came with this like strange-looking thing that was supposed to be a corkscrew. And you know what? I just set it to the side and didn't use it. And I thought, oh, what's with that thing? And so it sat there, and we just used our old corkscrew, which is really just a screw with a handle. And, you know, that thing would break apart the cork. It would fall in there. But it's okay. It's for our food. We just pick out the cork, you know. Or if you eat it, it's really not that big a deal. <laughs> so, but then one time, I couldn't get it out at all. So I, I decided to go grab that thing. And... Um, uh, I think, actually, this is the replacement of it, because I think that thing wore out. Has anybody seen one of these? It's like two blades, and you stick this in, and this pulls out the cork. Like, how is that going to work? But it's amazing. And so this gift earned a special place in our utensil drawer. And then it fell apart, and we have this one, too, now. Well, I want to talk to you about something this morning, about a special gift that you've been given that maybe sits on the side that you don't use. And uh, I want to go back to um, uh, just kind of to challenge you uh, to rekindle or to strengthen your passion for Christ because he is the greatest gift we've ever been given. And uh, I want to go to Martin Luther's hymn. Since we've been going through Martin Luther's hymn, I figure since it's the last Sunday of the uh, year, we'll go to the last verse of that song. And so the song says, Glory to God in the highest, who unto us his Son hath given. God gave us his one and only Son, whom he loved. He is the greatest gift we could ever have. And while angels sing with pious mirth, a glad new year to all the earth, God in Christ Jesus has not just given us a new year, but he's given us a new birth, a new life. And that's what I'd want to talk about today that Jesus has come to give us new life, new birth. And, you know, it's amazing. If we would grasp that, it would just continue to overwhelm who we are. If we would grasp exactly what God did when he gave us his son, it would begin to control our very lives, and we would be controlled by the love of Christ. But sadly, many Christians don't fully open the box. They don't take off all the wrappings. They settle for a makeover instead of being made new. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants to talk to us about today in 2 Corinthians. And so, if you would, I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. And I want to tell you just something real quick that somebody here may not know. The Apostle Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul actually didn't come to know Christ until 
Christ had already died and was raised from the dead. So before then, he was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he thought that the believers were abomination to the Jewish faith. And so he was about uh, the whole land persecuting them, trying to eliminate the earth of them. Until one day, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that totally changed who he was. And he began to live with a passion, a deep passion for Christ and has given us so many wonderful epistles to instruct us in how to understand and to live the Christian life. And so I'm going to read from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold... The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You can write this down. I am not defined by my past because the love of Christ controls me. It starts out, the Apostle Paul, with the love of Christ controls us. What he wants us to know is if we would fully grasp what Christ has done for us on the cross, what God has done in giving us this gift of Jesus Christ, we would be so overwhelmed with the love that he has shown us that we would be controlled by the love of Jesus. We would be so controlled that we couldn't help but live a changed life. We'd be so controlled that we couldn't help but go and tell others about the wonderful gift that God has given us. And so, in that, we would have such a wonderful vertical perspective about who we are and how we serve the one who is in heaven, that it would totally change who we are. And so, who is it? What is it? And what has Jesus done that should overwhelm us and influence us? And that begins with the rest of the verse. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The penalty of sin is death. We've been studying Romans, and we know that in Romans, many of us memorize the verse, right? From Romans uh, 6.23. And it starts out that the wages of sin is death. And we all know what wages are. We get them from our employer, 
right? Our wages are what we are due. When you do a job, when you do something, you have earned your wages. They are your right. If your employer does not pay you your wages, your employer is in trouble. He's in trouble with you and he's in trouble with the law because he has broken the law. The wages of sin is death. We have all sinned and the wages of our sin is death. We have earned death. We have earned the death penalty. It belongs to us. Yet in verse 15, we start that, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That those who live, those who believe, would no longer live for themselves, but live for Christ, who for their sake died and was raised. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only conquered sin, but he conquered death. And so he is able to give us the gift of life, eternal life. And because he is the one who gives us that, we should be so overwhelmed by that gracious gift that it should begin to control us. Control us in the fact that we would want to please him, not please him because... We need to please him to earn his favor, but we want to please him because we know he has loved us so much that we want to love him and please him in return. His love controls us because he died the death that we deserve and he gave us eternal life in its place. His love controls us because he took us from spiritual death and made us alive in him, not so that we could serve ourselves, but so we could serve him and others. My past no longer defines me because my former sin, my former passions, they no longer define me. They no longer control me. It's the love of Christ that controls me. And my past no longer defines me because my past is dead to me. You can fill that in as well. You can write that down. In verse 16, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. You see, the Apostle Paul who wrote this book was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he knew the law. He knew the law of Moses, and he knew all of the additional laws that they had written. And as as a Pharisee, he would have judged other people based on their appearances especially people like you and me who are Gentiles. He would have looked down upon us and thought us as being inferior. And in fact, he even looked at Jesus and thought of him as inferior because he was a false Messiah. He would look at those even who were in the Jewish faith who were tax collectors or involved in other activities and weren't acting exactly as he expected them to be And he would have looked down on them and judged them as inferior as well. He wouldn't have hesitated to judge people based on their appearances. And you know what? Isn't that the same thing we do today? Aren't we all guilty of times at looking at other people and judging them on the flesh? 
by their appearances, by what they look like? Does it happen in church when we look at someone and we know what their background is? I'm like, well, I'm not so sure I can trust them. This was in their background. Are we not judging their appearances that we know from before? And I was guilty of this even this past week. This past week, a gentleman came up to the eye clinic to have his eye exam. And he arrived there walking and pushing his grocery cart that was filled with all of his his earthly belongings. And he came inside and he checked in and they put him in my schedule. And then when he came to me, they put him in the room and I come to the door and I see his chart and I see that he's part of a homeless program. And I think to myself, oh great. What kind of smells are going to be on the other side of that door? What kind of mental capacity is going to be there? And I'm just feeling all down because you know what? I, Ryan had mentioned something that, you know, we may be de- even delayed even a bit longer, a little more training before we go. And I was feeling down about that. And I think, oh, great, this too. But before I went into that room, God gave me a spanking. God said, you go in there and you love that man. You treat him with respect. So I opened the door. I went inside. And you know what? It didn't smell. And you know what? The guy was in his right mind. It was actually a very pleasant exam. I really liked seeing him. His name was Mark. And you know what? Mark started to talk with me, and Mark started to share about what it's like to live out of a grocery cart from day to day. And we had a conversation about God and how God provides. Do you know, in that exam room, I was wanting to have an encounter with God and have him give me instruction about what's next and what to do. But you know what, in that exam room, I had an encounter with God. The very thing I was looking for was the very thing God gave me from someone that I wanted to shun. God reminded me what Paul is telling us right here in this book. What God has been trying to teach me that whole week is this, that there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who know Christ and those who need to know Christ. And that's it. There is nothing else. I need to be so overwhelmed with the love of Christ that it controls my words, that it controls my thoughts, my actions, so that every person can experience the love of Christ through me. When we come to Christ, we should have a radical change to who we are. It should change the way we think about others. It should change the way we think about ourselves and our own selfish desires. It should shift us from ourselves and shift us to other people. Even as mature believers, we need to be reminded and remind ourselves what Christ has done for us so that we can rekindle the passion of Christ's love. The love of Christ should overwhelm us, control us, put to death our former sinful ways, our former way of thinking, our former way of behaving, and grow us into the image of Christ. You can write this down. In Christ I am made new. 
with a new purpose. Now, a lot of you will say, oh, okay, um, our purpose, yes, our purpose is to glorify God. Yes, that's true. Our purpose is to glorify God. But here, Paul is going to talk to us about a very specific job, a very specific thing that he wants us to do. And so in verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We need to accept the truth of what God is speaking over us. We are new. He has changed us. We are dead to the flesh and we are alive in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been set free. Free to live in the Spirit. Free from our former ways. But some of us don't want to let go of our past. Some of us are too comfortable with what those things were, and we fall back. We like to resurrect some of those behaviors. And resurrection is normally a really good word, except for when it comes to sin. We want to leave it dead. It's gone. And so, I recently came through Hope Groups, and I want to tell you something from Hope Groups. There are five reasons that believers get stuck in the past, and they fail to find freedom in the Christian life. And so I want to share this with you, just real quick. The first is unresolved conflict. Do you have a conflict that you haven't been able to resolve, whether you're the one who's unwilling to resolve or they're the one who's unwilling to resolve? That will make you stuck. You will not be able to get past that. If you have fear based on a past trauma, that's going to cause you to get stuck too. You need to set aside your fear. God did not give us a, fear, uh, a spirit of fear, but of power. God wants to speak that truth into your life. If you have shame based on some past abuse, that will get you stuck. But you need to remember who God calls you, his child, his beloved. You are not who that perpetrator made you to be. You are not guilty of what they did to you. The next is unresolved grief. Grief is okay for a season, but it should not become your manner of life. God has given you life in him. And the fifth is bitterness. Bitterness comes when we let anger fester and don't seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Bitterness comes because we become so angry that we wish that other person was dead. Pastor Ryan often tells us bitterness is like taking poison and wishing the other person would die. You're the one who's dying as a matter of this. If this is you, if you are stuck in these five things, can I encourage you to really talk to your small group leader about it? Maybe find an elder or a pastor to talk to. And maybe even the best idea is that you would join hope groups. Because I know that there you will learn how to defeat your sin and you will find victory. The next thing in this passage, because the old has passed away, it says, behold, and behold is like an exclamation point. Behold, wow, look at this. You're never going to believe this. The new has come. Yes, the new. And he means new. God wants to give you a new heart along with your new life in him. Now, he doesn't mean a total makeover, right? A lot of you know about total makers, right? 
They slap a bunch of makeup on your face. They give you a new hairdo. And you look all wonderful. And this the new you. But it really isn't the new you. It's just an outside facade. We can do that as Christians, too. We can put on an outside facade and look great. But that's not what God wants. God wants to reach in and take your cold stone heart, extract it, and give you a heart of love for him and for other people. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that you could have a total makeover. Jesus went to the cross so you could have new life, a new heart in him. He wants to know you as chosen child, his beloved. The other thing I want us to notice is that often in the Bible, you'll see times when uh, the author says something negative and they'll say something positive. So the old is gone and the new is here. You'll see that in different places. And when you see that, I want you to pay attention. Because often that's a place where God is going to give you instruction about how to live the Christian life. One of these places in Galatians, uh, chapter 5, verses 16 to 25, we're told not to gratify the desires of the flesh, but to live by the Spirit and thus grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and uh, self-control. It happens again, too, in Colossians, chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. God tells us that we are his chosen ones, holy and beloved. And he encourages us to put on compassion and kindness and humility and patience and forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, we need to think about the things that God wants us to become. He's giving us a new heart, not so that we can behave a certain way, but so we can become who he's created us to be. When it comes to these things, we need to stop thinking about the negative and saying, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be angry anymore. So when you wake up, you, I'm not going to get angry today. And about every 10 minutes, you say, I'm not going to get angry today. And the next thing you do is, I'm not going to get angry. You go to work, I'm not going to get angry today. And then you go to lunch, I'm not going to get angry. What's going to happen? You're going to get angry. You've been thinking about it all day. Right? That's not what we're supposed to do. What we should think of is the freedom that we have in Christ. These things that I've talked about, the, the fruit of the Spirit, about compassion, kindness. You should go to work and say, I'm going to be kind today. I'm going to work on being the best example of kindness you've ever seen. That's what God is asking us to do. It's kind of like, this is kind of like a lame example, but I have this problem with chocolate. This is what makes me look like Santa. And... Um, so I, I can tell myself in the morning I'm not going to eat chocolate. And I can tell myself an hour later I'm not going to eat chocolate. But every day I end up eating chocolate. What I have to do is I have to stop and say, this morning, hey, we have some grapes and we have some strawberries in the refrigerator. I can enjoy strawberries today. I can enjoy grapes later on today. That's what God is calling us to do. Enjoy the freedom that we have in him Enjoy being who he's created us to be. He wants to give you and make you new, not just to give you a new year 
but to give you a new life. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in God, Christ, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. God himself has done this. God himself has chosen to send his son to give us the good news, to reconcile us. When Paul is talking about reconciliation, reconcile the minister of reconciliation, he's talking about the good news. He's talking about the fact that he took his one and only son, whom he loved, and he sent him to earth here so that he could live the perfect life. And even though he lived the perfect sinless, spotless life. He was sentenced to death as a sinner. And on that cross, he took all of our sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He took our sin. He took our place. The, penalty, the death penalty that I spoke about before that you is yours, he took it. He paid it. He's the only one who could pay it. And not only that, he rose from the dead to give you eternal life. And not only that, but he gives you a purpose, a special job. He gives you the, the message and ministry of reconciliation. God makes us righteous. We don't make ourselves righteous. It's only what he has done through Christ. God has made us righteous so that we could actually be in his presence. And we could actually enjoy him forever. We can be in heaven. Heaven is a far, far better place than this place. As nice as it looks, as nice as we think it is, heaven is far better. God wants us to take that message to other people as well. If we would be so overwhelmed at the love that he has for us, what he did for us, we would be so on fire to want to tell other people about it too. We would want to share it. And that is what he's talking about, the ministry of reconciliation. It's the special gift he has given us. Because we have been reconciled, the flesh is dead. Dead to selfish passions and concerns for our horizontal circumstances. And we are now alive in the spirit and free to live with a vertical perspective. Free to live and grow as a disciple. Free to worship Christ free to walk with Christ, and free to work for Christ. Once we understand who God is, we can't help but worship him. He is the only worthy one, and that's what worship is. We are making him the only exalted, magnified, worthy one. And we magnify ourselves because he is magnificent. He is awesome. He is glorious. And then that causes us to move to have a relationship with him. Because now that I'm re reconciled with God, I can actually pray and actually speak to him. I can read my Bible and actually understand what it says. And so I begin to walk with Christ. And I do that too as I go to small group, as I have an accountable relationship with other people. 
And then God does not only this, but he begins to call us to serve other people. Because here's the thing. God doesn't want us just to worship him and then walk with him and get a big head. God doesn't want us to just fill ourselves with knowledge and understanding and not use it. As we grow as a disciple, he wants us to come alongside others and disciple them too. He wants us to serve others and to love them. And that's why he doesn't want us to have a big head. He wants us to have big hands. I, I think of my father. My father was a mechanic. Obviously, I'm not. And so my fingers are kind of skinny. His were like thick, like, like tree trunks coming out of his hand. Because he had strong hands because he exercised, he used them. God wants you to take what you know, what's in your heart, and he wants you to exercise it. He wants you to use it. He wants you to work for Christ. He wants you to care for other people. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You are an ambassador. An ambassador uh, speaks for uh, the country that they represent. They bring a message. Do you know what our message is? It's a peace treaty. It's a peace treaty for people to be reconciled to God. Do you know one of the best ways for you to proclaim your peace treaty? One of the best ways for you to proclaim your peace treaty is to share your testimony whether the testimony of how you came to know the Lord or a testimony of what God's doing in your life right now. Because that testimony when you came to know the Lord and that testimony that you're living through right now, God is the one who has the glory in that story. Amen? God is the one who did the work, who did all of it. And, you know, it, it says in uh, Luke 10, 20, the disciples had come back God, Jesus had sent them out, and they cast out demons, they did miracles, they did all these great things. And they came back to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, man, we did this, we did that, we cast out demons in your name. And it was just crazy. You know what Jesus says? He says, basically he says this, that was nothing. I saw Satan fall from heaven. Top that one. Rejoice in this, that your names are in heaven. Your name is in heaven. When you belong to Christ, your name is in heaven. The greatest miracle you will ever know is a transformation of your own stone heart, becoming a living, loving heart that came from Jesus. When you share that story, God gets the glory for what he did in your life. When you share the story of what God's doing in your life even right now, God gets the glory for that too. Because as you go through the struggles in your life, you share that with the people around you and they know that you're a believer. They're going to be watching you. And they're going to wait to see if God shows up. And when he does and you tell them, God will get the glory. My daughter has been sick and she was in the hospital for about a week. And she married a Romanian. She's in Romania. 
She's in a hospital in Romania. That's like a hospital from 1950 here. And I was really worried about her, and um, I thought she just needed to come home. And I needed to be there, present, and take care of her and make sure that she got the treatment she needed. But you know what God did? He reminded me of the time when I was watching her and I was somewhere in the house and she snuck out at four years old and we live in the city and she took her little baby dolly stroller to the sidewalk and was heading for a busy street. How good am I taking care of her? Not so good. I think I'm great, but really I'm, I'm not. I'm like, compared to God, forget it. And that's what God reminded me that she is in his hands and he will take care of her. And God's going to show up in that story, I know. He's going to provide healing for her. And so we're waiting for that part. If we keep silent about the things that we go through, if we keep silent when we have opportunities to share our testimony, do you know what we do? We, we rob God of that opportunity to get glory for what he's doing in our very lives. The very thing he's doing in giving us victory. Speak out. Share what God has done. Share your testimony. Share the things that God is doing in your life. God has done an amazing work to save you and he's continuing to do the amazing in your life. Regardless of what circumstances you find yourself in. Once we grasp what God has done for us, we can't help but be controlled by Christ's love. And he has given us a new purpose with that. And that purpose is to share his good news with other people and to implore them on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You can write this down. Christ has set me free to live the righteous life for from verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this verse is actually one of the most important verses that teaches about atonement and justification. And I know you're thinking right now, what? Atonement and justification? That's like not a normal word. And um, so... Where do they come from? They're actually legal terms. And um, to best understand it, I would like to invite you into God's courtroom. And for this, I'm going to need some volunteers. And actually, I need a father and son volunteer. And I was wondering, Mike, could you come up? And actually, why don't you bring all three sons that you have there with you? Okay? Because I don't want you to have to choose just one. So, this is what we're going to do. So, we are in God's courtroom, and um, I'd like to introduce you to God. This is God the Father, okay? All right, so God the Father, why don't you stay right here in this glorious light? <laughs> we'll see. Okay, there you go. Here's, here's your glory. Just hold on to that. Okay? And... Um, Let's see. Um, why don't you come over here, and you're going to be Jesus, God's son, 
Okay, so stay right there. Okay. Um, okay. One of you has to be Satan. You guys like want to like. Okay. All right. So, so you're Satan. You can maybe come a little closer. You're still on the rug. All right. And um, I'm sorry, but uh, you're a sinner. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to God's courtroom. And um, Satan, this is. This is, this is a robe of sin. You can hold on to this until the time you need it, okay? All right. So, um, in God's courtroom, this is kind of what happens. God hits the gavel. Court in session, and the honorable God is present, right? And um, Satan is the prosecutor. And so the prosecutor comes, and um, he sees us right here. And uh, he points at them, and he says, you have sinned. You've done this, you've done that, you've lied, you've cheated. I've got it all here. I know exactly what you've done. I know who you are. And so he gives them the cloak of sin. Okay? So just kind of put it on your shoulders either way. And so he has sinned, right? We've all sinned. And what did we say before? What does our sin earn us? Death. Death. The death penalty. Off with your head. He's saying, he's turning, you need to make sure you kill this guy. He needs death. Right? But God sees him, and God looks at the sinner, and even though that sinner is his enemy, he is God's enemy because he has sinned. God loves him. And God does what we can't fully comprehend. God says, son, go down there by that sinner. And the son is the only one who could live a perfect life. And he comes to earth and he lives the perfect sinless life. And for that, what do we do? We kill him and nail him to a tree. We kill him on a tree as though he were a sinner. He who was spotless, who John the Baptist would say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what does God do? God looks on him and he takes the sin. He takes it off of us and he places it on his son. And as it says in our Bible, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't become a sinner. He didn't go sin. He's never sinned. He's still the spotless lamb. And yet now he is known as sin. And God regards him as sin. And God allows him to die. To die in our place. But it's a picture of what happens in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the, the perfect spotless lamb would come into the temple and they would sacrifice it. They would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on the altar. And that would atone for sin. It was actually a picture of what would take place here with Jesus Christ. 
And so when Jesus dies on the cross, the sinless one who has become sin for us, his blood covers our sin so that you can no longer see. Well, God sees Christ. He no longer sees sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we are found in Jesus Christ, you're going to kind of have to do like this maybe. God no longer sees our sin. You can grab it. God no longer sees our sin. All he sees is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And so that we might become the righteousness of God. You can give your righteousness to your son. Actually, I'm going to have you put it on this son, the one that was the sinner. He is now righteous. This guy always was righteous. Okay. Let me read from Isaiah 53. This comes from verse 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten him by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we now have the righteousness of God because it was given to us through his son. And so now when, when Satan comes and he accuses, do you know what happens? Satan says, hey, you sinned again, buddy. You got a problem. But you know what? Our position in Christ does not change. Now, we might have a little trouble with our relationship, God, if we just continue to live in sin. But our position before God is still one who is righteous. Now, even though he continues to do that, we are now righteous. And it says also in verse 11, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So, At this point, even though Satan can accuse us, it cannot stick because we are found righteous in God's sight when we come to know Jesus and are found in Jesus. Now, the next thing that God does, he doesn't just leave us here, but after he saves us and gives us his righteousness, you know what he does? He gives us, you can take this one, you don't need that anymore. And you can take this, his righteousness, oops, don't fall, and share this with others. That is the ministry of reconciliation that he has given to us. All right. Let's thank our volunteers. Thanks, guys. Once we realize the depth of God's love, the length and depth that he went to to save us, we can't help but be controlled by that love.
His saving love has set us free from our death penalty. He reconciles us to himself, and then he sends us out to reach others with his message of reconciliation. God chooses to use each one of us sinners, but beloved witnesses for him. We are to gain a deeper understanding of our amazing, loving God. How can we not have a passion to live for him and to do his work? My challenge for you this year is to seek a deeper understanding of God's love for you. That you should kindle a passion that is so on fire that it would be under complete control of God's love. No matter how many years you have been in Christ, may you experience new life and renewal as he continually conforms you to the image of his son, as he continually makes you a new creation. May he bless you with many opportunities to share his ministry of reconciliation. And may you with passion, like Paul, implore others, be reconciled to God. Let's pray.